Welcome back to the Manly Saints Project, by me, Hugh Hunter. We live in a world that struggles to understand the virtues of manliness. Our culture doesn't provide young men, or any men for that matter, with a lot of positive male role models. When I became a Catholic, I wanted to show how the saints could be manly role models for us. My weekly exploration of manly saints became the Manly Saints Project. If you enjoy my work, please consider signing up and supporting me on Substack, or click the links in the show notes to buy me a beer. Now, let's meet this week's Manly Saint. Join me today to meet a saint who took his stand high above the city of Constantinople. Name, Daniel Daniel the Stylite, Life, 409-493 A.D. Status, Saint, Feast, December 11th. In the opening years of the 5th century, in the small village of Maratha, in the south of modern Turkey, Martha and her husband Elias had not been able to have any children. One night, Martha crept out of the house, looked up at the night sky, and prayed. She asked God to send her a child, and she promised that she would do all she could to dedicate that child to God. A few days later, she discovered she was pregnant. Now, some people would have forgotten or downplayed the promise that Martha made, but she and her husband did not. When the boy was five years old, they took him to a nearby monastery and asked the abbot what he should be called. The abbot told the boy to go to the library and pick up a book, and the boy came back with a volume containing the biblical book of Daniel. By the time Daniel was twelve years old, he was also certain that he wanted to live a life dedicated to God. He ran away from home to the same monastery. The abbot found himself impressed by the dedication of the boy. Of course, he checked with Daniel's parents, but in young Daniel's world, a boy of twelve was old enough to work, and they were happy to see him go to the monastery. And that was how young Daniel became a monk. Now, everyone has heroes, even precocious young monks living in the 5th century Roman Empire. Daniel's great hero was a controversial figure by the name of Simeon. Simeon had become famous, or infamous, depending on whom you asked, through an extreme sort of asceticism. All monks and hermits live lives of restriction, to put the spirit in place as master over bodily desires. Simeon had come to think of this as taking a stand finding a way to assert himself against his flesh. Gradually, the idea had taken on a physical dimension. Simeon took his stand in a cell, restricted to that place, and never leaving it. But it wasn't quite right. Then he took his stand by chaining himself to a boulder, standing out there in the rain and snow and wind and summer heat. In time, Simeon had realized that he didn't need the chain. The thing he was trying to do was take a stand 
and it was enough to simply be there, in the little circle of space around the boulder. It wasn't meant to be antisocial. Simeon was dependent on locals to bring him food, and on priests to bring him the sacraments. He had taken his stand, and everything was working out, except for one problem. Tourists. Simeon's stand attracted other people. Some wanted to learn, some wanted to gawk, and some wanted a relic of the holy man's to take home with them. The appetite for relics was so intense in Simeon's time that another hermit had once been abducted as he was dying because the people carrying him off wanted his body as a relic. Unfortunately for them, by the time they had carried him to a nearby city, the hermit had recovered and was quite better, so they had to bring him back. Simeon always had to deal with people, sneaking into his little circle and stealing whatever they could. If only Simeon could take his stand, but out of reach. And then it occurred to him that he could, if he was up a little higher. Simeon had a platform installed on the top of a pillar near Aleppo in modern Syria. The platform had a railing so he wouldn't fall off. His stand was literal. He stood in the heat and the snow and the rain. He slept on his feet, leaning against the railing. He had become someone who lived on top of a pillar, a stulos in Greek. He had become a stylite. The strange figure on the pillar was controversial. Some people thought that the asceticism was too showy. But over the years, people started coming to Simeon for advice and assistance and teaching. First locals, then pilgrims from Persia, Armenia, Arabia, and then from even further afield, Italy, Spain, Gaul, and Britain. No wonder that a young monk like Daniel had heard of him. And so, when the abbot from Daniel's monastery went on a trip with a group of monks that would take them near Simeon's pillar, Daniel asked to come and got himself included in the expedition. Not that there was any plan to go and see Simeon. Most of the monks in Daniel's monastery thought that what Simeon was doing was wrong, and they had no plans to witness it. As they approached the place where Simeon had taken his stand, though, the monks from Daniel's monastery were surprised to hear local monks speaking well of Simeon. The locals were saying that you had to go see him to understand what he was really about. Daniel's brother monks thought it was all nonsense and said so, but finally they decided to go and see, just to confirm that they were right. We don't know what they saw, exactly. We do know that the delegation from Daniel's monastery was overwhelmed. They had been expecting something. A freak, a fraud, but they had found a holy man. Simeon invited the monks to climb up a ladder to talk to him. All the senior monks begged off. They were afraid of heights or their feet hurt. The truth was that they were embarrassed. They had spent the whole way down saying bad things about Simeon, and now they weren't sure what to do. So it was just Daniel who scurried up the ladder, and when he was at the top, Simeon blessed him. Play the man, Daniel. Be strong and endure, for you have many hardships to endure for God. But I trust that the God whom I serve 
will himself strengthen you and be your fellow traveler. Daniel went home, thinking about these words. He would continue mulling them over for decades. Daniel remained a monk for a long time. When he was in his forties, he became the abbot in his turn. But as often happens after a promotion, Daniel began to reevaluate where he was. And since he was no longer under an obligation of obedience to an abbot, he was the abbot now, Daniel could decide where he was going to go next. He decided to pick up an unfinished conversation. He stepped down as abbot and left the monastery. He went to see Simeon. Daniel was now a man. He had spent most of his life as a monk. Simeon was happy of his company, but after spending a few weeks at Simeon's pillar, Daniel realized he was being drawn elsewhere. He thought it might be toward Jerusalem, but a strange encounter on the road changed his mind. Daniel met a cantankerous old man who had advised him to go to Constantinople instead. When they stopped for the night, the old man vanished, and Daniel changed direction. He had no idea what to do when he got to Constantinople. And so Daniel walked the road, knowing that God would show him where to stop. And that was how he came across a place of tremendous evil. Daniel was walking the road along the Bosporus. This little strait connects the Aegean Sea and the Black Sea, and it had been a significant trading route since the days of Troy. Now, Constantinople, also known as Byzantium, controlled the Bosporus. Not quite in the city, there was an old abandoned stone church. Or at least, it had been a church. The church had been desecrated. As a result of whatever had happened there, it was the locus of a demonic infestation. Those few who had tried going in heard demonic screams and voices, objects levitated and were thrown inside the building, and sailors who came too close to the coast where the church was risked boulders rolling and bouncing down and sinking their ships, the aim too deliberate to be an accident. Locals advised Daniel against going near the evil place. And when he insisted that this was just where he should be, they watched nervously as he went into the building. Daniel walked around the inside of the church. There was a small window, high up, and otherwise very little in it. The voices started as soon as he went in, and rocks and debris began to fly through the air. To the relief of the locals, Daniel turned around and walked back toward the door, obviously having realized that no one should stay in this place. But then, to their surprise, Daniel closed the door, clicking the lock shut and sealing himself inside. It was suddenly not obvious who was trapped in the building with whom. A little while later, locals heard screams and howls and then something that looked like a swarm of bats burst out of the small window and flapped away into the night. Daniel stayed there as a hermit. Gradually, the area became known as a good place. 
villagers came to offer food and ask for help from the hermit in the old church. Sailors began once again to sail along that stretch of the coast. Daniel stayed in his little cell for another nine years, and for a little while it seemed as though he had found the place to make his stand. But then, far away in Syria, Simeon died. The relic hunters went into overdrive, taking everything they could find of the saint's possessions. One of the hermits living there, a man called Sergius, felt a weird call and took Simeon's cloak and started the journey to Constantinople to give it to the emperor as a gift. The real prize, of course, was Simeon's body, and a raiding party attacked the area to steal it, with the imperial soldiers only barely prevailing against them. In the old church, far away, Daniel dreamed about Simeon. In the dream, Simeon was on his pillar, impossibly high up in the sky. At the top of the pillar, with Simeon, were two men in radiant clothes. Simeon was calling Daniel to come to him, and Daniel admitted he did not know how. Then one of the men came down and brought Daniel up onto the pillar. But now, in the dream, Simeon was rising into the sky, climbing up and up with the two men accompanying him, his voice echoing down with the advice he had given Daniel all those years ago. Stand firm and play the man. Daniel woke up uncertain. Over the next few weeks and months, Daniel wrestled with the sense of the dream, until he had an unexpected visitor. It was Sergius, the hermit who had felt an odd calling to bring the cloak of Simeon to the emperor in Constantinople. Sergius had tried to do it, but when he got there, Administrative delays kept him from seeing the emperor. After waiting and waiting, Sergius started to second-guess what he felt he had been called to do. Maybe he was supposed to bring the cloak to a nearby monastery instead? He was on his way to that monastery by boat when he heard the sailors talking about how the holy man who lived in the old church had made it possible to sail along this portion of the Bosporus again. Sergius asked if he might stop, and visit this man and get his blessing? When Sergius stopped, Daniel learned from him that Simeon was dead, and Daniel told Sergius about his strange dream. And suddenly, two things were clear to Sergius. He went and got the old leather cloak. He now understood who he had been carrying it for. And as Daniel took Simeon's cloak symbolically accepting his legacy, Sergius realized that it wasn't just the cloak that he was bringing. He told the sailors to go on without him. God has led me from one father to another. And so it was with the cloak of Simeon that Daniel and Sergius made their way toward Constantinople together. They weren't sure where to find a pillar but God would show them the way. And indeed, on the way they met a pious soldier who knew of an old abandoned pagan temple. The roof had fallen down and there were pillars that a stylite could build a platform on. The soldier assured them that the land was abandoned and no one would mind if Daniel set up there. It seemed perfect. 
Sergius went into the city and had a railing and platform constructed, and then helped Daniel to get to the top to begin his career as a stylite. But there was one tiny problem. It turned out that the soldier had not been 100% truthful when he described the land as abandoned. It was, in fact, the property of a powerful noble, Galanius, who had absolutely no intention of allowing a stylite to squat on his property. Galanius had no time or patience for such things, and sent his men to pull Daniel off the pillar, by force, if necessary. Off went the servants. But when they got to the pillar, someone recognized Daniel. This was the man who had exorcised the haunted church. Instead of pulling him down, the men knelt and asked for Daniel's blessing. Galanius was furious. Just because Daniel was, allegedly, holy, didn't give him the right to be a squatter. Galanius sent a message to the emperor and the archbishop. The emperor, amused, decided to let Galanius sort out his own problems. The archbishop, though, agreed that the land did belong to Galanius and Daniel had no legal right to be there. Armed with the archbishop's words, Galanius got together a group of his friends and servants and marched out to get the stylite off his land. It was a clear, bright day. But as the men approached the old temple, dark clouds scudded across the sky. It began to hail, large stones hitting Galanius's companions and ruining his vineyard. Galanius's friends began to grow uncomfortable. Maybe this was not such a good idea, after all. As Galanius looked around, he could see their support fading away. People started pointing out that Daniel wasn't really doing any harm there on the pillar, was he? Galanius's villa wasn't that close to the stylite. Maybe it was time to just let this go. Nobody was quite sure what would happen if they tried to drag Daniel down. So Galanius hatched a clever scheme. If he couldn't get the stylite down by force, he would get him down by deception. Galanius climbed up and spoke to Daniel. He pointed out to Daniel that he was squatting on someone else's land. Not that that was a problem, Galanius lied. But he asked Daniel to help him save face in front of his friends. Galanius would order Daniel to get off his land. Daniel would start climbing down the ladder, and then Galanius would generously give him permission to stay. Daniel, who really hadn't known that anyone owned the land, was happy to agree. Of course, the real plan was that once Daniel got off the ladder, the mystique of the stylite would be gone, and Galanius would have his men grab Daniel and toss him off the property. As Daniel began to climb, Galanius looked down at his feet. Maybe he was trying to hide his grin. But then he noticed that there was something wrong with his feet. There were boils popping up on the exposed flesh. His feet were swelling up like balloons. Galanius got the message. He painfully hobbled over to the ladder and shouted at Daniel to please stop coming down. He was absolutely delighted to have him as a guest for as long as Daniel wanted to stay. Daniel, who had been expecting this, climbed back up 
to his platform. Galanius was, of course, lying. Or was he? As the months passed, Galanius found that he was glad that the stylite was there. He was being pulled into something greater than himself. In time, Galanius became one of Daniel's greatest advocates, singing the stylite's praises to anyone who would listen. He also paid to have a proper pillar, custom-built. Like Simeon before him, Daniel stood on his pillar, moving around but never sitting or lying down. From the top of the pillar, Daniel healed the sick and cast out demons. Daniel didn't seek popularity, although he began to find it. When a group of men paid a prostitute to claim that she had seduced the stylite, Daniel did nothing to correct the rumors. It wasn't the citizens of Constantinople he was doing this for. And when, soon afterward, a strange compulsion made the prostitute publicly confess and shout out the names of all the men who had put her up to the trick, Daniel nodded and continued as he had been. In the snow and rain and heat and dry, Daniel stood on the pillar. Even when a windstorm nearly brought it down, Daniel stood firm on the shaking structure until morning. The emperor and the empress went to see Daniel and were impressed. The emperor sometimes brought problems to Daniel or asked him to serve as an impartial judge. The empress asked Daniel to relocate to imperial lands where she would have a grand pillar built. Daniel thanked her but said no. He was where he was supposed to be. He had taken his stand. The emperor, though, had the pillar improved and rebuilt. Daniel was now sixty feet up in the air. The church was always a little bit concerned about extreme ascetics, understanding that not everyone can or should live the way that Daniel the Stylite did. But the church grew more at ease with Daniel when they realized he wasn't advocating that either. When one visitor asked him what he should be doing, Daniel made it simple. Do whatever your flesh can endure. Neither force it beyond measure, nor, on the other hand, abandon it to slackness. For if you load a ship beyond its usual burden, it will readily be sunk by its weight. But if, on the contrary, you leave it too light, it is easily overturned by the winds. Decades passed and the people of Constantinople grew used to the holy man on the pillar. That was probably why it was such a shock the one time he climbed down. The good emperor had died, and the new emperor was flirting with heresy. He had even started to persecute orthodox members of the church. The emperor knew that Daniel's endorsement would go a long way, and had tried to get the stylite to agree with him. Daniel rejected the emperor's messengers. Then, desperate clergy came to ask for Daniel's help. Slowly, painstakingly, Daniel climbed down the ladder and went into Constantinople. The mob that gathered around Daniel was so large that the emperor ran away. Daniel set out to help the clergy who were in trouble. But as he led the people through the streets, the sick of the city kept coming out and asking for help. Daniel kept stopping the mob 
and getting them to pray for the sick of the city, so that they were shouting, Lord, have mercy, as they were storming along. The emperor saw the direction that things were going, and made peace, insisting, somewhat unconvincingly, that it had all been a big misunderstanding. And that was that. The church would be left alone. Only afterward did people start to realize that Daniel had turned a riot into an open-air lesson in the power of prayer. Like many saints, Daniel had a sense of his impending death. He had been on the pillar for three decades. He was 84 years old. By now, there was a small colony of hermits living at the base of the pillar. Daniel told them that he was going to die. It helped explain his change of character. Daniel had always been focused on God, but now that focus was locked on, and he wouldn't even answer questions about politics or other matters. As it happened, on the day of St. Daniel's death, there was a man in the crowd who was suffering from demonic affliction. When St. Daniel died, the first sign was a shout from the demon that was being cast out. Up on the pillar, St. Daniel's body slumped against the railing. The saint was no longer there. <laughs> 